Well, good morning. If you have a Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians. And if you don't have a Bible, you're in luck because we are giving them away this morning in the pew rack right in front of you, or if you're on the front row underneath of you, uh, there are Bibles there, and we would be on page 964. That's 964. That's where 2 Corinthians is. If you're new to this church, one of the things that you know, we, we aim to do here is to open up books of the Bible and to walk through them verse by verse, read what they say, and then talk about what it means in its original context, and then for us today so that we can then leave here locking arms and helping each other to, to live out what God calls us to do in His Word. So that's what is about to happen right now as we begin this new series in 2 Corinthians, a series that we're entitling Strength through weakness, strength through weakness. In light of that, let's ask God for help one more time in the proclaiming and the receiving of his, his word. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning, and if we're sober about ourselves, we come in weakness. Lord, the reasons that we are weak abound, are true in us physically and spiritually and emotionally. Lord, some of us are just a, a mess this morning. Some of us couldn't find anything to be strong about. Some of us lack ability to find anything to be encouraged about. Lord, some of us are in the midst of the most grievous trials we've ever been in. Lord, some of us have been hurt deeply. For many reasons, Lord, that we feel weak this morning. So we come this morning in our weakness, and we ask you to be our strength, that you would, by your Spirit, through the Scriptures, show us the glories of Jesus, show us his power through the resurrection, ascension, and now his intercession on our behalf. Give us an eye of his soon return, the victory, and the day when we'll be ushered into a new heaven and new earth where pain and suffering will be no more. Might you give strength to us now in the midst of our weakness as we, we try to trust you. Oh, Lord, would you help us? We pray that as we begin this series, Lord, we, we, we give it to you as an offering. We pray it would be pleasing to you, that everything we say would be true, that you would guide and guard us and in the proclaiming and the receiving of it. God, would you right now give us eyes to see and ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts to believe? Would you give us wills that are surrendered? Would you give us affections that are warmed? Would you give us bodies that are readied? Would you deepen our resolve to trust you, no matter what it is that we might face, and to be willing to help others to do the same? Oh God, give grace now. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Have you ever faced a trial that was so daunting that you are certain there's no way you're going to make it out? Have you, have you ever been in a, in a situation where your, your hope was so sapped that you could barely get out of bed? Where you had no strength left in you to take another step? Where you're so weak you couldn't even, you couldn't even read the Bible even though you know you're supposed to? Have you ever felt so alone that you would give anything for God just to open up heaven and to say, I see you. I've got you. I have not 
forgotten you. I have not forsaken you. Have you ever been in a situation like that? The book of 2 Corinthians is given to us as a word from God in the midst of weakness, in the midst of an author who knows himself to be weak, in the midst of a congregation who's suffering and knows their weakness. The book of 2 Corinthians is, is a word from heaven where God says to us, I see you, I've got you. And the way you can know that's true is because I have given you my son, Jesus. Behold him. See the one who was forsaken in your place. See the one who suffered even greater than as you're suffering. See the one who died the death that you deserved and rose victoriously and now has ascended in glory. Look to him and find strength in your weakness. He is your strength. The book of 2 Corinthians is, is, is the word from heaven that says, says this. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, God says to Paul in his weakness, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power, says God, is made perfect in your weakness. Your weakness, your suffering, is actually an advantage for you, God says because it puts you in a position where all you've got is me, and I love to care for my people. So draw near. I've got you. As the Apostle Paul needed God's grace, as the Corinthians needed God's grace, as we need God's grace, God says, I love to give you grace. If we're going to summarize our, our first part of this series this morning in verses 1 through 11. The, the title is Comfort in Affliction. If we're going to summarize these, these 11 verses, what it, what it meant for them and what it means for us, it might go something like this. Trust God for comfort in affliction and for strength in weakness. Trust God for comfort in affliction and for strength in and through your weakness. We're going to unpack this in, in, in two sections, verses 3 through 7. We're going to see hope in God's comfort. Hope in God's comfort to you and through you. We'll see. Hope in God's comfort to you and through you. And then seek God's strength through your weakness in verses 8 through 11. So hope in God's comfort to you and through you, verses 3 through 7, and then seek God's strength through your weakness, verses 8 through 11. Now verses 1 and 2, before we dive into those two things, they, they set the context for us to help us to understand what this letter is all about. Because books of the Bible are not just written into thin air, they don't just come FedExed from heaven, rather they are written under the inspiration of the Spirit through an apostle, in this case the Apostle Paul, to a people who are dealing with a particular thing, and then God preserves it for God's people for all time because we all deal with the same kinds of stuff. So let's look at verses 1 and 2 and get, get the story behind this story. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We see right out of the gate who this letter is from and who it's, it's to. It's from 
Paul, who calls himself an apostle of Christ Jesus. An apostle is is simply one who has had a personal encounter with the risen Christ, and Christ has commissioned them personally to herald the gospel to people. These apostles lived in the first century. There's no apostles any longer, but the apostle Paul was an apostle. And he had comrades with him in ministry, and there's one particular one here, Timothy, who is mentioned. Timothy gets a couple books in the, in the New Testament as well, as does Titus, who's also mentioned in this, this letter. But, but Paul and Timothy, who were known by this church, are writing this, this letter, which we call 2 Corinthians. Now, just a little bit of confusing backstory. 2 Corinthians is actually 4 Corinthians, and 1 Corinthians is actually 2 Corinthians. What I mean by that is there's, there's other letters that Paul had evidently written to this church that were not inspired but we're, we're just written to them, helping them navigate through things. Those are lost in history. But these letters are preserved for us, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, to help us to gain insight into what God was doing in that, that congregation. I'll give you more on that in a second. But this, is, this letter from Paul, the apostle, is written, verse 2, to the church of God that is at Corinth. Now, if you just read that, with, if you knew the first century you would say, there's a church, where? Like this is the last place that you would think that there would be a, a church. It was an ancient port city known for its idolatry and its materialism, its perversion, its greed, its snooty intellectualism. They loved traveling philosophers. They loved the flashy stuff. If it was trending on TikTok, they were into it. Like that was them. They were very worldly. They loved what the world had and then they'd be able to take some Jesus too, and they, they would try to baptize their worldliness with, with Christianity, and it, would, it just became kind of a, a mess. Yet in the, in the midst of this, God had worked a miracle. Right? The, the, the apostle Paul had visited this city, Corinth, on his second missionary journey. You can read about it in Acts chapter 18. He had joined Priscilla and Aquila in their tent-making ministry, and they visited the synagogue and do what they do. They preach the gospel that Jesus is the Messiah that you're looking for. And some people believed, and God worked a miracle, and a church was, was born. And Paul ministered there in Corinth for some 18 months, so he's there for a year and a half. He knows these people well. He then left uh, Corinth, and he went to uh, Jerusalem by way of, of Ephesus. About a year later, when he was in Ephesus on his third missionary journey, you can catch this in Acts chapter 19, he wrote a letter to the, uh, to the Corinthians. It was the uninspired letter. It was the first letter. It's mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 9. Five, nine. Well, that letter was misunderstood by the congregation. So they, they knew Paul. They get this letter, and he's, he's talking to them about something, and they misunderstood it. And that opened the door for some false teachers to come in and be like, oh, you can't trust that Paul anyway. Well, Paul then gets word that, listen, thing from Chloe's people in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that things in Corinth are getting crazy. There's divisions, people are fighting, people are starting to say, well, I'm of this apostle and I'm of that teacher and I'm of this guy. It was Everybody had their own celebrity pastor that they were looking to and it was producing all of this competition and, and unhealth in the church. So, so Paul wrote 1 Corinthians back to them to correct some of that sinful behavior and to address some of their concerns that were, that were going on and some of their, their questions. Then he follows up that letter with what he calls in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, a painful visit. So he goes and he visits, and the letter didn't land well, and his visit didn't land well. He came and things got ugly. 
Y'all ever been in like an ugly church meeting? Well, this was one of them. It got sideways. We don't know exactly what happened, but he leaves and he writes another letter through anguish and tears he talks about. And then he planned to go to them, but then he didn't end up going, which we'll see this next week. And then he writes this letter to kind of prepare the way because he does intend to come to them. So this is 2 Corinthians. It's, you can see Paul loves these people. He cares for them, and he keeps pursuing them, but they are not responding well to him. Now, why all the drama? <laughs> well, again, the Corinthians were a spiritually immature group. They were true believers, many of them, but they were enamored with, with the flashy. They loved the impressive speakers and the ideas that were trending. And Jesus warned his churches that wolves were coming. Wolves love to prey on the spiritually vulnerable, the spiritually immature. And they had come to Corinth. These, they, they called themselves apostles. They came in with letters saying, oh, look, we're from so-and-so. We're apostles too. Paul's going to, with a little bit of sarcasm, uh, in chapter 11 and 12 of 2 Corinthians, call them super apostles. Oh, the super apostles are there. The Avengers showed up, right? So like that's, that's kind of how he's, he's, he's saying they're, they're not apostles. They're a bunch of jokers. But what they're doing is they're coming in and they're calling Paul's apostleship into question. And one of the main things they're saying is like, look at his life. This dude's constantly getting beat up. This guy is constantly suffering, and everybody knows that if God's blessing you, you're not going to suffer. You ever heard that one before? Just watch some late-night late cable uh, preaching. Well, don't actually watch it, but it's, that's the message, all right? That suffering is a sign of unfaithfulness. It's God's curse on you. You don't have enough faith or whatever it may be. It's that sort of vibe that these false teachers are given, and they're just saying, Paul, can't, you can't trust him. He's a liar. He's not following God. We've got the real message. And Paul keeps pursuing them and saying, no, I've been laying down my life for you. I love you. I care about you. Now, if there's ever a letter in the New Testament where you might wonder, is that dude all right who's writing it? Second Corinthians is it. It's that kind of letter. He is uniquely impassioned. It's uniquely vulnerable and pastoral. He's, it's like he's trying to plead through the pages of this letter to remind them the way of Christ is marked by suffering. And that I've done nothing but love you. The reason that I'm suffering is because I'm trying to herald the gospel so that I can give it to you because I love you. He's been serving them and sacrificing for them. And he was happy to do it because he knew that God was using his suffering for their good. That brings us to the first point here. He's going to tell them and tell us hope in God's comfort in the midst of suffering. Hope in God's comfort the comfort that comes to you and the comfort that goes through you. God's doing something in the midst of the suffering and affliction that you face and that I face and that we face. Look at verses 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort 
who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort that we, with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too if we are afflicted it's for your comfort and salvation and if we are comforted it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Now, before we meditate on the sweet promises in this passage, I hope, did you catch the the Apostle Paul's posture here. Do you, you see how he leads? This guy is beaten up. He's bloodied relationally and physically too. This guy's been through it. And, but do you see the first words out of his mouth after he gives the inspired hello? He begins by praising God. Blessed be God, he says. Blessed be God. Praise be to God. This is remarkable. Paul is a man who has suffered greatly. His, his, his enemies are many and merciless. He, he's writing to a church that he's done nothing but love, yet many of them have slandered him, they've mocked him, they've dismissed him. They, they, they brushed off his care and his, his teaching. He's writing a letter to this church who has broken his heart again and again and again, but do you notice he isn't bitter? He isn't bitter at them, and he isn't bitter at God. Instead, he blesses God. He, he praises God for who he is and for what he is doing. How did he do that? How, how do you go through the sort of stuff that he's been going through and not get bitter because he's seen firsthand that though people aren't always good and those circumstances aren't always good, God is always good. Paul has been cared for. See, Paul's an apostle, yes, but he's first a Christian. He's first and foremost a child of God, and Paul has been cared for by a heavenly father. Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. And through this, Paul has learned more of who God is and what God is doing. Notice, by the way, in the midst of your suffering, how important it is to praise God. Praising God when all of your circumstances scream at you not to, it guards your heart from the despair of your circumstances, and it lifts your eyes off of circumstances and places it on the one who holds circumstances, the one who is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose because he is good and does good. This is why you don't just praise God. This is why we're not just emotional people. We have emotions, yes, but we don't allow our emotions to dictate how we feel and relate to God. We walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not just mere feeling. This is why I will praise you Yet everything else says not to. I will anyway. 
This is how he begins his letter. Blessed be God. In the face of all this mess, blessed be God. And he's praising God for who he is. Look again, verse 3. Blessed be the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. Now, he, he renders this in the, in the plural, which, which highlights the, the abundant nature of God's mercy and his comfort. It's like if we were standing next to a waterfall and we'd be like, oh, look, the, the water flows down. That would be true. But if we said the waters flow down, it just sounds magnanimous. It sounds bigger, grander. And this is the way he's presenting God. He's not just the father of mercy. He's the father of mercies, of all comfort. This is a, he has a grand view of the generosity of God. He's got a big God who has a big heart. And Paul's heart is full here in the midst of all of this. It communicates vastness. God is a benevolent benefactor who showers mercy on his peace people. The word mercy here, it's important. It means compassion. It means pity. It means t tender kindness towards someone who, who has nothing to offer back. You ever feel like, I've got nothing to give God. I'm all out. I'm tapped out. I got nothing. God says, oh, well, you're set up. You're set up for mercy. Because mercy, you can't pay back. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. I'm going to give you myself. And not only that, but he's the God of all comfort. And you notice it's not just a little comfort, but it's how many comforts? All of them. All the comforts. Every single one of them. All comfort. Comfort flows abundantly from his heart. Do you see the portrait of God here? Some of us need to hear this afresh. God is not a mean, distant, grumpy, disappointed taskmaster. He's just always scolding you and disappointed with you. That's not the God of the Bible. For those who are in Christ, we know him as Father, and he is a wonderful, merciful Savior. He's the comforter of sufferers. He's the God of all mercy. He's the God of all comfort. That's who he is. He's a merciful, comforting God. But he also praises him for what he does. Verse 4, who comforts us in all our affliction. Now again, these, these two words... Comfort and affliction fill the pages of this letter. The word comfort shows up 19 times. Ten of those are in this chapter. Like out of the gate, comfort, 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 comfort. Like he's, this, is, this is always, there's comfort everywhere in this chapter. To encourage, to draw near, to, to get consolation in a time of sorrow. God's got that for you. And then affliction. It shows up 11 times, four times in this chapter. It means distress or trouble or opposition or anguish. It's, it's a word that could be described as crushing pressure. He says, when you feel crushed by the pressure of your affliction, you've got to know God's got comfort for that. God's got the remedy. He gives you his, himself. And Jesus assured us that both affliction and comfort were coming if we were going to follow Jesus. He says, if you're signing up to follow me, you can bet two things are going to come. One is going to be hard times, and the other thing is that I'll be with you. Listen to this from John 16, In the world, you will have tribulation. It's the same word for affliction. In this world, you will have affliction. You'll have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus said, trouble is coming, but take heart, I have conquered it, and I will care for you. 
You want evidence of that? Jesus rose from the dead. Like, that is the thing. He defeated the greatest obstacle that, that ever stands between us and life. He conquered it. And just, just, we got to meditate on this for a second. Look again at verse 4. God comforts us, us, God comforts us in all our affliction. It's very personal. God gives personal comfort for personal affliction. God knows you personally. He cares for you uniquely. This is really important because if you're anything like me, there's nothing like suffering to make you feel like you're alone. To make you feel like nobody else gets it. Nobody knows, nobody cares. There's nothing like affliction to make you feel isolated. God says, you're not. I'm caring for you. Afflictions are messengers of mercy to remind us that the God of all comfort sees and knows and loves us despite all the reasons that we would point for him not to. He comforts us. It's personal. But not only that, notice, God comforts us in all our affliction. Now, this is the one we don't like. Can we, like, reword that? <laughs> Around all our affliction? <laughs> you know, like, no, it's in it. There's a comfort that comes from God that he does not give in advance of your affliction or apart from your affliction, but in and through your affliction. This is why anxiety, by the way, sometimes is so, so dangerous for us because we're afraid of all the stuff that we're not going through. And the reason it's debilitating is because God's not giving you grace for that because you're not in it. Now, if you're in it, he's going to give you grace for it. This is why he says, give that to me. You can't handle that. This is, I'm not, don't fear what's not happening. Trust me for what is happening. But, but here, he comforts us in our affliction. That means there is a unique comfort from God that cannot be known apart from affliction. How many of y'all been through some stuff? You know what I'm saying? Like most people, if not, just keep living. It'll happen. So... For those of you who have walked through the stuff with God, you know that there's, nah, I didn't want to go through that, but you know what, there's a way I got to know God in that season that I don't think I could have got a, I couldn't have known him any other way. There's a peace that cannot be known in this world apart from pain. There's a help from God that comes no other way but through hurt. This doesn't mean that we need to seek it out. Be like, well, I guess I should go try and stir up some trouble. No, no, no. If you in good days, just thank the Lord, okay? Praise the Lord for good days. Rejoice in them. But they're probably going to end. Sorry to be Debbie Downer. <laughs> it's, it's just this life on this fallen planet, there's hard times. If you're in sweet season, praise the Lord and don't allow it to, yeah, to, to let your heart grow disillusioned, to forget where it all came from. Just praise God for it but you do not need to despair when trials come because he is with us in our affliction. And not only that, God comforts us in our affliction, in all our affliction. Did you catch that all again? 
This means that there is no affliction that we face that God will not supply comfort for us. We're in a room filled with people who have been afflicted. I mean, if we were to start right now, we would be here for centuries. If we walked through and just talked about all the hard things that have happened to us. Many of us have been lied to, been lied about. There have been miscarriages. There's been church hurt. There's been broken hearts. There's been dashed dreams. There's been unwanted singleness. There's been unwanted marriage. There's been sickness that you can't shake. There's been sickness of people you love that you would give your own life to take it from them. There's been persecution for your following of Jesus. Some of you have been canceled by friends. Some of you have been disowned by family. Some of you have been fired for your convictions. I could go all day. But this text assures us that there is nothing that we face that is so deep that God cannot reach us in. There's nothing you face that's so dark that God cannot find you in it. There's nothing so crushing that God cannot care for you in the midst of. He is the Father of mercies and the God of all comforts, who comforts us in all our afflictions. God alone is the source of mercy and comfort in your affliction. And this is critical to comprehend because when, when we're pressed by affliction, we are always tempted to find comfort in something other than God. Satan always has a plan B. Sometimes we, just, we, feel, we feel like we just can't, we can't, we can't trust God. Because if he were good, and if he loved me, he wouldn't have let this happen to me. You ever wondered that? You ever felt like that? Or, or maybe it's because we feel like God, he, he must not care for us. I mean, it, I don't deserve to be loved, so of course this is going to happen. Or, or, or maybe be, because we feel wearied of walking by faith, and we want something or someone to help us escape. So we turn to, to drinks or to drugs or a blunt. You go buy something, or you binge watch a, a bunch of shows, or you go sleep or just do a bunch of exercise, or you, you, you go hook up or whatever it is, anything to make us feel something other than pain. Because I'm just tired of hurting. But it never helps. It always just, it always just leaves you feeling more empty. The book of Ecclesiastes, we just did an evening service, and it. it's like, like chasing the wind. It's just not there. There's no comfort apart from Christ. There's no there's no mercy apart from the Father of mercies. It's not there. The world will bring you to a buffet of illusions, a mirage. It's all there. Come and get it. God says, no, I'm what you need. This text is here to remind us to not look at anyone or anything to do what only God can do for you. 
This text does not promise that he's going to deliver us from our affliction in the midst of it necessarily, but he will supply comfort in it. He gives you himself, which is better. You remember when Peter was walking on the water and in the, in the midst of the storm? No, no, they're in the boat, freaking out, and he says, Lord, if it's you, and he gets out of the boat because Peter knew it was better to be with the Lord than in the boat. All of our boats are going to sink. This is why you've got to walk by faith and cling to Christ. He will not let you down. He praises God for who he is. He praises God for what he does, and he praises God for why he does it. Look at verse 4. He comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. God has far-reaching reasons for our afflictions. The, the, the word so that there, it, it highlights the purpose. So that, he gives comfort in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort. God comforts us in our affliction to enable us to comfort others in their affliction. He turns the comforters or the comforted into comforters. By giving comfort, God is creating comforters. God has big purposes in view for our afflictions. Hear this, God is not wasting your suffering. No tear is tossed away. He stores them all in a bottle. Yet know that as you shed those tears, they are training you to trust God for a comfort that we will get no other way that we will then be able to steward to help others. He has purpose in your pain. Your suffering will actually become a stewardship. Notice again, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. This, by the way, is, is a help for us. You do not have to go through the same exact trial that somebody else is going through in order to help them. We are not Gnostics. You know, a Gnostic, a Gnostic believes you have to have experiential knowledge of something to be able to be helpful. You can't help anybody with depression if you haven't been depressed. You can't help anybody with anxiety if you're not anxious. You can't help anybody fight pornography if you haven't fought it. That's an illusion. That's not Christianity. This, this text tells us right here that if, as you've walked with God and he's given you comfort, that comfort can be applied in any situation and circumstance. It doesn't mean that God won't help us to be able to speak uniquely to particular circumstances, but don't dismiss the fact that God is training you for multifaceted ministry through your miseries. You're able to comfort those in any affliction because he's been with you through it. Verse 5, for we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, meaning our afflictions are associated with Christ's sufferings. For Paul, his sufferings were because every time he's proclaiming the gospel, he's getting slandered and beaten and mocked and imprisoned, and all these things are happening because he's following Jesus. Which, which by the way, is, this question comes up sometimes pastorally. People want to know, is all of my suffering, if I'm a Christian, is all of my suffering for Christ? Is this the same kind of sharing in the suffering of Christ? Or is there like only persecution suffering that counts? It all, if you, are, if you are a Christian and you are walking by faith, every bit of suffering that you are enduring is part of filling up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ because you're trusting him and you're enduring that trial in a way that you wouldn't if you weren't a Christian. 
It shows that you are with Christ and in Christ and trusting Christ. So it doesn't just have to be persecution that you're suffering, that is the suffer- share in the sufferings of Christ. It's, it's, it's all suffering for, for believers. He says, for, again, verse 5, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort also. He's saying our, our union with Jesus is our hope in the midst of our hurting. God cares for us in Christ. And because we've received merciful comfort, we can be merciful comforters. Think about it. Christians, if there's anybody on the planet who should be able to help people through affliction, it is, it is believers. Because believers are marked. What they are are people who have received mercy and comfort in the midst of affliction. This is who we are as people. We are people who have been cared for by a merciful, compassionate, tender God. That's all we know if we're believers. And our union with Jesus produces a likeness to Jesus whereby we endure suffering to know God and to make him known. God is giving you comfort so you can help others. Now, this is where you may be tempted to say, okay, I see where that's on the page, but I don't like that. I, I, I don't, I don't want to go through this so that I can be useful for God. Like, I, I don't, I don't want to go through this so I can help others. I, I don't mean to be rude, but I don't really care what's going on in their life right now. My life's a dumpster fire. I'm, I'm going to die. I don't, know what, I don't know what's going on. acknowledge that that's, that's real. You can, Christians can feel that way and be tempted that way, but don't succumb to that. God, God would say, beware of missing what I am doing in and through your suffering. Think of Christ. He suffered. Why? For our sake. He says the way of Christ is this. This is what it means at its heart to be a believer. Is that we follow Jesus in all of his ways, by his grace. You're like, I can't do that. It's like, that's what that comfort part was about. He's going to give you comfort to help you in all your affliction. This is the way of Jesus. Is that we, we plead with him, God help me to see beyond this. And yes, I want to be really clear, there are times that it's right and good just to lay and just receive grace. Yes, yes, yes. But as that's happening, say, Lord, I don't know how you're going to use this, but someday, please redeem this. Help. After my wife's grandmother died a number of years ago, she was sitting with a friend, and Carrie said something to her along the lines of, I just want to go back to, to normal. I just want to go back to feeling normal. I want things to be normal. And her friend said something to her like, that makes sense, but, but God doesn't want that for you. He's using this to make you more like Jesus. He's taking you beyond what was normal. He's shaping you into the image of Christ. Listen, friends, there is, there is nothing more tragic than a believer going through a trial 
and coming out on the other side looking exactly the same. Or growing worse. Because you can do that, you know. You can go through and be like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't care. No, no, I don't care. I don't care. And you just make it through. And you're like, fine, I'm on the other side. The Lord's like, no. Look to me. Trust me. Now, some of you have very sensitive conscience. You're like, I must be doing that. That must be what's going on. If you're looking up, the Lord is working. Sometimes when you can't even feel it, you feel weak. You know, like after a workout, you just feel like, I got nothing. Well, you've actually become stronger through that. So, so don't, don't, dis, don't despair in, in the midst of this. He is, he, is, he is working. Listen to this. Ephesians 2.10 speaks of what God is doing in and through our salvation. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has good works for you and me to do if we are in Christ. And some, maybe much, of the path will be on the road of affliction. Some of the good works that God has for you to do are trained in the workshop of suffering. Listen to this word of instruction, Acts 20, 35, where Jesus says, it is more blessed to give than to what? Receive. Now, you hear that and you're like, oh, that sounds like a nice verse. Now apply it to this context. You're like, oh, it is better, more joyful, more fulfilling to give comfort to others than to get it for yourself. You're like, I don't know about that. <laughs> Jesus says this is true, though. That, that, that may be a hard pill to swallow, but God says, no, this is good medicine. I remember meeting recently with a sister who had gone through a, just a horrific family trial, and in the midst of it, it was hard to know what was up and down, but as she began to, to come out of it more and be able to see more light and how God had carried her through it, she said something to me along, along the lines of, this, this is not the ministry that I envisioned having with my life. This is not what I ever thought that I would be doing to minister to people. I always kind of thought of it just, a, it looked a lot different. You know, because we would all like to be the example of like, oh, well, this is how you handle prosperity and success. It's hard, but somebody has to do it. Praise the Lord. I'll be that one. Like, you know, you're like, that's the, I'd love to be, have to be the model for that, you know. Most of us, that's not it. Most of it, it is, I wish I'd never gone through this in one sense, but having gone through it, I learned things about God that I never would have learned anywhere else. And I'd love to, if it's okay, share with you some of the comfort that God gave to me in it. Verse 6, he says, if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. Paul's assuring the Corinthians that God has purposed his pain to prepare him to be a vessel through which God gives mercy to people. This is an incredible lesson for us as well. We are entrusted with affliction for the purpose of getting comfort, yes, to know God, but also to give comfort to help others know God. This means part of the reason that you and I suffer is for us to help others gain comfort. And what else, verse 6? Comfort and what? 
Salvation? Now that seems over the top. Actually not. Think about it. Salvation is given to those who persevere in faith. What is the great threat to your perseverance in faith, to other people's perseverance in faith? Suffering. That nothing tempts us to give up on God and to leave Him like pain does. Nothing's more disorienting. But God helps us persevere in faith by bringing people around us who have suffered and then bringing us into the lives of others to minister to them from the abundance of comfort that we've received. For instance, 2007 was the darkest year of of my life. Maybe. It was one of them. It It was dark. And I remember I... I had gone through a bunch of stuff, most of it self-inflicted, and I just, I couldn't see the way, and I was just, I was despairing. So God in his kind providence arranged me to meet a guy named John Henderson, who was a biblical counselor, and I met with John for about six months, and I remember every time I would leave, I would tell Carrie, I was like, I know theologically I didn't just get saved again, but I think I just got saved again. Um, Like, I just, I, I was just encouraged And because he kept pointing me back to to God and to his comforts and to his mercies. But one of the things that John explained to me was that he had learned much of what he learned because he had gone through a horrific depression, just where he saw no light, and he just didn't know how he was ever going to take another step, how he was going to ever get out of bed. But God had met him there and given him comfort. And it was like every single time that I went to meet with him, he opened the scriptures in a way that he was drawing from the well of comfort that God had given him and serving it to me. And that helped me to keep taking steps of faith to where now by God's grace, I'm still taking steps of faith. So it doesn't mean that suffering Christians can give comfort to other people and give them salvation. Only Jesus does that. But rather what it does is it helps us to persevere in faith. This is what he's saying here. This is why he says, verse 7, our hope for you is unshaken. It means it's certain, it's guaranteed. Paul's hope that the Corinthians will persevere until the end is unmoved. Why? For we know there's a truth he's trusting in. That as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. The Corinthians here are suffering as well because of their own following of Jesus. It's costly to them. Yes, there's some wacky stuff going on, but they're still believers. They're still trusting. He says, I have comfort. I have confidence in you. My hope in you, persevering to the end, has grown because I've watched you suffer. Listen, there's something put it this way, there's a certainty about one's faith that comes through trials and suffering. In one sense, anybody can walk with Jesus when the sun is shining, when the bank account is full, when the health is vibrant, when the relationships are blossoming, when the dreams are coming true. But it's when the clouds of affliction roll in and your portfolio crashes and your sickness spreads and the relationships sour and your dreams are dashed, it's then that we see what it is that we really trust in. Do we really know him? Paul says, I'm seeing in you God doing something in and through this that I don't think could happen any other way, and it gives me hope in you, hope in what God's doing in you. This is why, by the way, James can say 
the book of James can say crazy stuff like, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. You're like, happy? No, but joyful, trusting, for you know that the testing of your faith, all of this affliction stuff, produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. James says in the midst of trials and affliction, you can have joy because you know that there's a, a father of mercies and a God of all comforts who's helping you in the midst of it and it's fueling perseverance so that at the end you will have nothing lacking because you will be with Christ and like Christ. So hope in God's comfort to you because he's the father of mercies and hope in God's comfort through you because he's preparing you to help others. This gives way to a shorter section, verses 8 through 11. And the reason it's short is because it, it, it's all the way through the rest of the book. But we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna tap into it a little bit here. Verse 8 through 11, he says, For we do, oh, the second point is, seek God's strength through your weakness. So hope in God's comfort to you and through you, and now seek God's strength through your, your weakness. Verse 8, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers many. So Paul here moves from theological instruction to biographical reflection. He says, let me tell you how we're putting this, this truth into practice. And he speaks of the affliction we experienced in Asia. Now we're unsure of exactly what that was. Uh, there's nothing in Acts it's clear, but when you read later on 2 Corinthians, Paul's, Paul's been through some stuff. This may be slander, it may be some sort of attack, maybe he was beaten, he was tortured, imprisoned, slander, who, who knows, but it was bad. And the Corinthians knew about it, maybe Titus had told him, we don't know, but, but notice again, it wasn't just some bad day. Whatever it was that they faced, it seemed like certain death. Again, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. He says, our situation didn't feel ominous. It was ominous. It, it was like you're walking, you're a hiker, and there's a growling grizzly bear, and there's a cub. You're like, it's over, right? It, it, it's like you're on a little paddle, paddle board, and here comes a tidal wave. You ever been in one of those circumstances where you look at it, and you're like, I'm going to die? I remember one time we were off the west west coast of Mexico on a mission, missions thing, and we went out and we went swimming. There was a group of us, and we go out, and we were swimming out. It was just beautiful, all this kind of stuff, and then all of a sudden, a fin, like a legit fin, like comes up right next to me, and I thought, this is the end. I've, my entire life, I saw Jaws way too early as a kid, like so much so that going, you know, you know the toilet, I was like, there's a shark in there. Like, it's how scared I was of sharks. Like, <laughs> And there's this fin that comes right next to me. I'm like, it's over. Okay, Lord, whatever, here we go. And it was a dolphin, praise the Lord. And there was a bunch, <laughs> there was a bunch of them. But I was done, y'all. It was over. <laughs> Cast the chips in. We're going home. This, Paul said, this is how it was for us. 
Like we, whatever circumstances we were in, it was over. This was, a, this was a sentence of death. The executioner's sword was raised on us in this trial. Now, you might ask, why would God, he loves them. Why would God let them get in a situation where they were so anxious that they thought they were going to die? Their circumstances were so dire, they're sure it was over. Why would God allow that to happen? Well, verse 9. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He said God mercifully brought us to the end of ourselves so that we would rely on him. Weakness is not your enemy. Weakness awakens us to our need for God to be our strength. One of the most dangerous places that you can be in is to be spiritually self-sufficient. To be strong in yourself. That temptation to be like, I don't need to read the Bible today. I, I remember some stuff. I don't, I don't need to spend time in prayer today. I don't really need people around me in this season. I'll get it. I'll figure it out on my own. That is evidence of spiritual sickness, not spiritual maturity. The more spiritually mature someone is, the more they embrace their weakness the more they're aware of how much help they need. Trials can be the best thing for us because they point us to God. So many verses. I'll give you one. Just listen to this. 1 Peter 5, 7. Short one. Memorize it. Here you go. Cast all your anxieties on him knowing that he what? Cares for you. Cast all your anxieties on him, knowing that he cares for you. That means that there are situations and circumstances where you feel anxious and you don't know what to do. What you do is you say, God, take it. I can't do this. This is too much for me. And what happens when you do that is your eyes go from where to where? From stuff to the Savior. From afflictions to the Almighty. From trouble to the one who reigns and rules in eternity. It gets your eyes up, and you say, he's my hope. And that's where Philippians 4 will say, the peace that passes understanding will now guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus because you've gone to him through prayer. Prayer is the weakest thing that you can do, which is why it's so hard. It is spiritual warfare to get your eyes off of self-sufficiency and to put them on him who is sufficient. Weakness is your friend because it makes you feel, I need help. Y'all got to be careful because the gospel of the world is the opposite of this. The, the message that you hear in every show, in every song, in every meeting at work is you're strong enough, you're awesome, you can be whoever or whatever, you can do this, it's you, you, you got this, right? Like that's the message of the world. God says, nope, that leads to death. Following Christ is the way of life. And the way of Christ goes through suffering and trial and affliction Yet, you don't go, you don't go alone because you have the God of all comfort who comforts you in your affliction. And he's the one, verse 9, who even raises the dead. This was their hope. Listen, do not despise your weakness. Weakness is a gift from God to help you to know his power. So when you face decisions, you don't know what to do. When you face a trial that you don't know how to navigate, 
when you endure health challenges that appear grim, when all the doors are closed and you're not sure if God will ever open another one, when you feel like you've made a mistake so big there's no way you can ever recover, do not lose hope, do not lose heart, but seek strength in God. Your weakness is a gift. It is a pathway to God's power. Because as you continue to come to him, he shows you himself, and that's how you grow. He says, verse 10, he delivered us from such a deadly peril, whatever was going on there, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope. All the chips are on him. That he will deliver us again. He says God kept us and he saved us and he will save us in and through every single trial all the way until the last trial which is death and he will save us then. Do you see the fruit already that's come in Paul's life? It was so bad that he thought he was going to die but now there's fruit. God didn't waste it. He's able now to give comfort to these Corinthians and now by extension to us because Paul had been through whatever hardship it was this morning, some of you get a word from God. You're like, I need to know if he's got anything for me. And Paul says, I've been through it. He gave it to me, and now I'm giving it to you. There is a God who comforts you. Do not lose heart. Verse 11, you also must help us by prayer so that you may give thanks on our behalf for the, the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. Paul says, we need your prayers. Pray them loud. Pray them broadly. Tell others because we believe that God is going to work in this situation in such a way that God will receive praise and glory. <laughs> he ends where he began in this section, giving God praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. And now pray, pray for us that we can endure this and you can endure this so that many will see that God is sustaining us in the midst of a really hard situation and he'll receive praise again, which is our joy. Friends, do not be afraid of your weakness. Nobody likes to be weak. Nobody wants to feel exposed or insecure or unstable or uncertain. Trust that God is working. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, Jesus said to Paul in his weakness, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul's reply, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Friends, trust God for comfort in affliction. Seek his strength in and through weakness. Hope in God's comfort to you and through you. Seek God's strength through your weakness, he will hold you fast all the way to the end and then use you to help others to do the same. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that even now you would give us yourself, you would give us the comfort that you promised to here. You, the Father of mercies, would you show us the Lord Jesus, the very embodiment of comfort, he who is gentle and lowly, the one who loves us and cares for us. Oh, Father, might you help us to believe that your mercy is more and greater than whatever it is that we might face. God, would you give us strength in our sorrows and help in our afflictions. Oh, Lord, you are worthy of our praise, so help us to sing by faith now. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.